Your financial plan will be tested time after time. You need a plan you know will withstand the test of time. Welcome to the Tempest podcast with Daniel Pakin, Robert Schlesinger and the rest of the team from Tempest Financial Group. In this podcast, we help business owners and families create a financial plan rooted in fundamental financial principles. Join us for this journey where we explore time-tested financial, retirement and tax strategies built to protect, save and grow through a lifelong relationship. Let the show begin. All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, This is uh, the Tempest podcast, and this is our fourth episode, our third in the series of walking you all through our structural integrity process. Um, So far, we've talked about liability protection. We have uh, we had Michael Silverman on. We talked about disability protection, where we had uh, members of our team, Chris Weber and Pete Heckman. Um, talk about the importance of protecting your income. And today, join with me with uh, Dan Pakin as usual, we have our guest, uh, Kevin Kasomian, to really talk about the importance and significance of doing the proper estate planning as it relates to wills and trusts and all the other items that go along with those important documents. Uh, so we're excited to have you, Kevin. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I'll let Dan kind of give your bio and a little introduction for you. Yeah, thanks, Rob. So happy to have Kevin with us. He's uh, an old friend of uh, Tempest and worked with many of our clients. So we've gotten to know him well over the years. And uh, yeah, so this podcast is about estate planning documents. So we'll, we'll cover some of the basics of what is a will, why is a will important, We'll talk about who it's appropriate for. We'll talk a little bit about trusts and the different types of trusts and get a little bit more specific to individual situations and what's appropriate for them. Um, But let me start out. I'm going to introduce Kevin here. Kevin Gasomian is a partner at Venable LLP, where he focuses his practice on personal legal needs of business owners, corporate executives, high net worth individuals and their families. Um, Kevin represents, uh, covers all aspects of estate planning with an emphasis on tax minimization, asset protection, business succession, and philanthropy. Kevin's been a speaker. He's an author. He's a professor. Um, He was recognized by Variety Magazine's prestigious legal impact report as one of the nation's top lawyers, graduate of the University of Kentucky, law degree from Vanderbilt University, a master's in tax law from University of Miami, an overall good guy and about to be a new dad of a second child any day now. So welcome, Kevin. Thanks for joining us. That's right. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure. So Kevin, I know that when it comes to will and estate planning, it's very specific to everyone's situation. And obviously some things are more appropriate than others. And this this podcast is, um, you know, we want it to be valuable for everyone. So I think we might start out a little broad and then dive in a little bit deeper into specifics. So on that note, let's just start out with some of the basics, like what is a will? Why is it important? And like, what if something happens to you and you don't have a will? Great questions. And that's, uh, these are all questions that I get a 
often, as I'm sure both of you do as well. In its simplest form, a will is what we all think it is. A will is just a document that you sign, and it tells everybody what you want to have happen with your stuff when you die. When you're a parent and you have a child under the age of 18 or under the age of majority in whatever state you live in, your will tells the world what you want to have happen with your child also, meaning a will is the document where you designate a guardian for your child. That can be very important. We can touch upon its importance later. But what I like to tell anyone who asks me that question ultimately is everyone has a will whether you know it or not. Um, the question is whether it's your will or whether it's the will of a probate court judge. Because ultimately, if you don't have a will where you express your own personal wishes, then what happens is the, the court system, the judicial system gets involved to determine what happens with your, your wealth and, uh, as I mentioned before, children. Uh, if you have children who are the, under the age of majority and you don't have a will where you designate a guardian, then basically what happens is at your death, Child Protective Services moves in to take care of the, the kid. They're entered into the foster care system. Ultimately, if there's a family member that would step forward and petition to court to be a guardian, then they could be the guardian of your child. But if for some reason nobody steps forward or if the people who step forward just don't qualify, then your child could have effectively become a ward of the state. And that's a nightmare scenario that all of us would want to avoid. So what's the parents, timeline? I think, uh, curious, Kevin, like what's the, like in that situation, you pass away, there's no guardian name for your children. It's going through the court system. Like how long could that take till it's all sorted out? I mean, it could take it could take months, it could take years, but essentially for children that don't have any anyone that's immediately available to take care of them, to physically custody them, then they are shuffled through the system. And if you put yourself in your child's shoes, um, and this is very real for me and my wife right now, as you mentioned, Dan, we're about to have our second, you think about this scenario. This is a scenario where your child has just lost both parents. They're gone. And now there's nobody there for those children. And uh, that's a scary situation. Not only is it something that the child is going to have, this is a trauma that the child is going to have to live through, but then they also have to now suffer through the indignity of being shuffled through the system. And even under the best case scenario, that's, that's enough to really leave a mark. And that's something that uh, no child should have to endure. So, so a will you know, I think one of the reasons why people are so adamant about getting wills, and you you hear it all the time, parents will shame each other. There's a lot of will shaming going on. Well, the reason for that is it's really it's not about you. It's about your kids oftentimes. Um, it's, it's making sure that your kids are provided for appropriately. And then obviously, if you have wealth, you want to make sure that your wealth passes to the right people according to your plan and not just the default set of rules that a judge is going to follow in a courtroom. What is that? Like, let's, you didn't, you had, you didn't have a will, you had some money. What happens to that money? You're both, you and your spouse are gone. What, what happens? Well, so it, a lot depends on who's left, right? If, if you die without children, then your parents will probably end up with your wealth. If you have kids, then your kids will end up with the wealth. 
But the issue isn't necessarily who ends up with your assets. Uh, it can go on and on and on forever. If you don't have kids or you don't have parents, then you look to you know other heirs and descendants, and there's a pecking order for that kind of thing. But it's it's not so much who ultimately receives your assets. It's what is the process like of getting the assets to them. That mm -hmm. process occurs in court. That's the probate process. That's the process of uh, a judge deliberating and determining who receives your wealth. And if your wishes aren't clear, there could be a lot of disputes. And I'm sure uh, people listening to this podcast have heard horror stories about probate. Most of the time, probate isn't that big a deal. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it is time consuming. And generally speaking, it's a public process where most people want to have their financial affairs kept private. Most people don't want the whole world to know what their children are inheriting or what they're inheriting. So probate, in addition to being somewhat time-consuming, it's public. Uh, it requires oftentimes an attorney. Attorneys that are going to court for you tend to charge more than attorneys who are not going to court. So it could be an expensive proposition. But again, it all just depends on the complexity of your assets, depends on where you live. It depends on who your survivors are. So there's a lot of variables that enter into it. And that's why the process of sitting down and doing a will, putting together a will, is really more a, a housekeeping exercise in that it forces you to think about these things. It will force you to become organized. And, you know, ultimately, when you're a parent, especially, that type of organization is, is a godsend to your children. So it's helpful to have advisors that get it and that will kind of shepherd you through the process. Got it. Yeah, that's really helpful to just kind of understand the consequence. I feel like, you know, when we go about this and have this conversation with our clients, you know, the very first question is, do you have a will? And nine out of 10 times, the answer is, we know we need one, but we haven't gotten to it yet. Right. But why do they need one? Right. I think you did a good job explaining that. Of Here's what happens if you don't. You actually do have a will. It's just not your will. I think that's really big. Right. Um, you know, in, in having these conversations and, you know, there's a lot of other advisors on our team who work with a lot of different people. And I think generally speaking, we all know if you have children, you need to have a will. I think what some what may be less familiar to some is what if you don't have children? What if you're single or married or, um, you know, you don't you don't plan on ever having children, which which happens right to, to each his own for sure. Is it still important for those folks, whether they're single or married and just, you know, don't have children or don't plan on having children, should they have a will also? The answer is anybody that has any sort of asset, anyone who has a pet, anyone who mm -hmm. has loved ones that they're leaving behind, they need a will because they need to let everyone know what happens with their assets when they die. And it you know, it really doesn't matter how much you have as much as it is just making sure that your wishes are honored. A lot of our clients that are single, their pets are the most important thing to them. And so we'll, we'll set up pet trust. They want to make sure that if something happens to them, their beloved dog ends up in the right place. And uh, it's something sometimes we laugh at, but, you know, I, I don't have to tell you guys this. Pets are like a prized member of the family sometimes. <laughs> we both um, have dogs. We get it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And sometimes your 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 pets love you more than some of your family members do. 
So that kind of thing is important. Also Vice for versa. People that, yeah, right, exactly. Um, also for a lot of single folks, when they die and they have wealth, sometimes it's a charity that they want to receive their wealth. If you don't designate who you want to receive your wealth, then again, you may have a scenario where uh, what we refer to as a laughing heir will inherit from you. A laughing heir is somebody who doesn't know you never heard of you, but all of a sudden they get a check in the mail saying, hey, you know, Aunt Sally, great Aunt Sally died and here's your, here's your, uh, here's your inheritance. And they're kind of laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody really wants that to happen. So. Right. And, unless you're the recipient, of course. <laughs> well, that's right. But, you know, it's hard to predict. Yeah. So, Kevin, uh, let's put trusts aside here, but what are the other documents when you're helping your clients create their estate planning? There's the will, but there are a few other important documents that go along with that. Can you talk a little bit about what those are? Yeah, absolutely. And Dan, this is where our fields kind of line up because what we're trying to do is not just account for what happens when our clients die, but there are other scenarios that are almost that are far more devastating than death. For example, you mentioned it on, at the beginning of this podcast, disability. What happens if you're disabled? If you're disabled or incapacitated, you're not dead, so your will doesn't kick in. Remember, your will only kicks in when you die. So what happens if you're incapacitated? What happens if you're disabled? What happens if you can't make legal decisions for yourself? If you can't make legal decisions for yourself, Someone needs to make those decisions for you. And what ends up happening is you have to go back to court. The reason why you have to go back to court is because if you don't have a designated individual to make healthcare decisions for you or legal decisions for you, then a court will assign someone. That process of having a court make that decision is just as cumbersome as going through probate. In fact, it is the probate court that has jurisdiction over the this decision-making process. So if you're incapacitated, legally incapacitated, you can't make decisions for yourself, then your family's gonna find themselves back in court. And what ends up happening is you have to be adjudicated as being incompetent, and then a guardian will be appointed for you. Um, and Kevin, just to- Kids need a guardian. Just to yeah. interrupt you on that for a second, just to make this real, right? Like we mentioned it earlier about the timeline. Someone's disabled or incapacitated. You, you said this before. This could be months or longer of a process to kind of get to what that ultimately looks like. And that's, I mean, just put yourself in that situation. Like I can't imagine how stressful that could be. Well, and guys, let's, let's face it. I mean, most of our clients that we work with are business owners. And they have wealth. And as you all know, time is money, especially mm -hmm. when you're running a business. So to have, you know, a disabled partner or an incapacitated partner is devastating. It could be devastating financially. And like I said, it could be far more devastating than death itself. When you die, people can move on, they grieve, and then they go about their affairs. And maybe you're tied up in courts, but there is an end state. When you're incapacitated, there is no end state. It could go on forever especially if you're kind of permanently incapacitated. So the way you address this scenario, to answer your question, Dan, is in addition to a will, what we would always do is also have our clients sign a power of attorney, which is a document where you designate an individual or individual to make legal decisions for you, financial decisions for you. 
Then we would also have our clients sign a healthcare proxy. A healthcare proxy is basically where you do the same thing, except you're designating someone to make healthcare decisions for you. And then we would have our clients also sign a, a living will declaration. A living will declaration is just a statement of your wishes in case machines are the only thing keeping you around. And so those documents, the power of attorney, the healthcare proxy, and the living will declaration, those documents are as important as a will and oftentimes even more important than a will because of some of the scenarios that we just described. Makes sense. Yeah. And they, they typically all go hand in hand. Right. And I think if you're going to start engaging in this conversation and taking care of these items, you just get it all done. Right. That's, that's right. Switching gears a little bit, you know, I've sat in on a lot of conversations with you and our respective clients. And one thing comes up pretty often in conjunction with the estate planning piece, which is life insurance. Can you just elaborate and kind of, you know, dig in a little bit as to the role um, life, and specifically permanent life insurance, I think, really plays in the estate planning conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I think life insurance, first of all, I, I defer to the experts when it comes to life insurance. I can say that in my field, life insurance is indispensable, uh, especially permanent life insurance. The reason is, specifically, as it applies to estate planning, is at death, Oftentimes, our clients' estates are illiquid, meaning they're a, they own a business or they own real estate. They need cash. They need cash flow. You need money uh, to cover expenses at death. You need money to pay the estate tax liability that may be due at death. You may need money to equalize your children. Maybe one child is involved in the business and is working and has a paycheck. The other child isn't. How do you balance them out? Uh, they're all types of useful applications of life insurance. And I think it's just a tax smart way of providing for these end of life scenarios and afterlife. Again, for me, uh, there's, there's nothing that cash flow can't solve, at least from a legal standpoint. And so having cash flow, having liquidity at death to pay for things that might come up during the administration of an estate, for example, when you're running a business, if you have to pay a tax bill out of the blue, uh, there's no better uh, tool for solving that than a tax-free death benefit. I mean, it's, it's a tax-smart thing to do, and it's something that I've, I've found to be indispensable. That's great. I mean, at, at the end of the day, just to kind of sum that up, tax-free cash delivered at death solves tax-free. Income, thank you, right? We do have compliance and a lawyer, right? Income tax-free death benefit um, upon death solves problems and surely structuring that life insurance in the right way inside of life insurance trusts. And, you know, I've heard you talk a lot about this as well is a way to, you know, uh, avoid the estate tax aspect of life insurance as well. Yeah, it solves That's problems. That's right. And the income, it does solve problems. And, um, it's the income tax-free nature of it is one thing, but if we, as you guys know, if we if we properly structure the client's estate, we can also avoid estate tax on right. the death benefit too. So it's just it's an absolute indispensable part of my practice. It's something that I might, I encourage my clients to look into and consider. Uh, and I ultimately I, I like working with folks like you uh, because of your expertise in the area. Great, great. Kevin, let's talk about trusts. 
people hear trusts, you've heard things, trust fund baby, trusts, what are all these trusts? So let's give like a trust 101 here. What is a trust and what are like the different types of trusts and how does somebody determine like what's the appropriate trust for them if they should have one at all? Uh, that's a great question, and I think oftentimes in our line of work, we take it for granted. We we just assume everybody knows what we're talking about when we when we say the word trust. A trust is basically it's just a contract. It's an agreement. It's a legal agreement between three parties: the settlor, that's the person who sets up the trust; the trustee, that's the individual who controls the trust; and then the beneficiary. The beneficiaries are the individuals who have access to the trust assets perfect example is, Dan, if I gave you my iPhone and I said, hold my iPhone, anytime I need my iPhone, let me have it so I can use it. And if something happens to me, continue holding my iPhone and let my my daughter use the iPhone whenever she needs it. That's basically a trust. I've given title to property to you. You control it. You're holding it, but you're holding it for my benefit or for my daughter's benefit. Now, From a tax standpoint, trusts are malleable. In other words, we can set up a trust and put certain terms in the trust so that it can take on any sort of tax attribute you want it to have. And so in that regard, a trust can become a useful tax planning tool. But the type of trust that you would need to implement if you wanted the tax benefits associated with trust is an irrevocable trust. An irrevocable trust is usually a trust that carries with it tax and asset protection planning benefits. So when we're dealing with clients that have tax and asset protection needs, we're talking about irrevocable trust. Now, the other type of trust that often is used is really just a will substitute. It's called a revocable trust. And what a revocable trust is designed to do is complement your will and help you to avoid probate. In other words, You can have a will um, and you can have a revocable trust. The reason why you would have a revocable trust is to avoid the probate process that I just described. Having a will alone will not get you out of probate. In fact, a will is a probate document. It's a letter from you to the probate court judge telling the judge what you want to have happen with your stuff. If instead you have a revocable trust, The revocable trust can contain all the same provisions as your will, but it's a private agreement that only you and your family will be involved with. And if they choose to involve other people in helping them to administer the trust, they can. But the nice thing about a revocable trust is you're not forced into court. And for that reason, a lot of our clients will use revocable trust as well as irrevocable trust. Got it. So uh, revocable trusts, I know oftentimes we set assets up where the owner of an asset is a revocable trust or the beneficiary is a revocable trust. And a lot of that is done to avoid probate court, which just makes at death things a lot, lot easier. However, it does not protect you from estate planning, right? That is still part of your estate and does not does not uh, prohibit you from being uh, assessed an estate tax that is a bit more, I guess, what are, what's sort of the downside of an irrevocable trust? Well, an irrevocable trust 
again, is something that typically we would set up while someone is living because we're trying to get some sort of estate tax benefit. So for example, if a client had a cash value or a whole life insurance policy, and they had that policy in place because they want to make sure that they are providing liquidity for their heirs at death for whatever reason, whether it's to run a business, whether it's to provide cash flow, whatever the issue is. Um, what we would oftentimes recommend is that they own that life insurance policy in an irrevocable trust. When an asset is held in an irrevocable trust, it is not included in the decedent's estate for estate tax purposes. The estate tax, just so everyone is clear, it's a 40% tax on the transfer of wealth at death. Now think about that. You've paid income tax for your entire life, presumably at around 40% rate, let's say. Now just for the privilege of dying and passing on your assets to your loved ones, you're going to be assessed an additional 40% tax, estate tax. So you can imagine that's a tax that our clients want to avoid. And the way to avoid it is through the use of an irrevocable trust. Irrevocable trust and any assets contributed and held in an irrevocable trust at death, generally speaking, those assets aren't counted as part of your taxable estate. And so they can avoid estate tax. What is the downside of an irrevocable trust? Well, I guess it's the fact that you're even talking about an irrevocable trust means you have a tax problem. You know, I think that the, the, the problems associated with trust planning, uh, the trust is really a solution for those problems. So what we're trying to do is set up irrevocable trust to kind of address some sort of, whether it's a tax issue or whether it's a asset protection or creditor concern, uh, and so, you know, oftentimes those aren't the best scenarios in the world, but the trust is a solution as opposed to a problem. Um, and I know you often talk about uh, people who have wealth in these complex situations. What is the ultimate goal? Well, the ultimate goal is to avoid that tax, protect those assets from things like divorce and lawsuit or creditors and maintain control of the asset, right? Those are those are sort of the three goals of estate planning. And uh, that's where you spend most of your time in coming up with creative ways to, to accomplish all those. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's no one size fits all solution for every client. Uh, you know, a lot of our planning is very customized. But generally speaking, that's right, Dan. I mean, the goals are all the same. The general goals are our clients come to us and they say, hey, I want to protect the wealth that I leave behind. Uh, I want to maximize the inheritance that my children receive. Uh, I want to make sure that if they inherit money from me, I don't want my in-laws to get it. I don't want any future ex-spouses to benefit from my hard work. This is obviously something that our clients want to minimize. Uh, and so this type of planning can really accomplish all of that. The other goal kind of broad goal that our clients are always telling us that they want to accomplish is they all say it in different ways, but they'll say something to the effect of, I don't want to leave behind a big mess when I go. So that means just making sure that their wishes are honored, that their wishes are reduced to writing, uh, that everybody understands what their marching orders are, that dispositive wishes and um, who inherits what is clear. And a good estate plan 
uh, will solve all that for the client. So it, it brings peace of mind to clients, uh, especially uh, clients that have great wealth or maybe they have kids with special needs or maybe it's a grandparent who's kind of on the tail end of life and they're, they're thinking about legacy. I mean, this is planning that is really everybody needs it. The death rate, as I like to say, is 100%. The tax rate is 40%. 40%. Either way, you're, you're going to need to deal with this. Just a couple more for you, Kevin. And, you know, I give sure. you a lot of, uh, I give you a lot of credit because I think that you have a very challenging job in that it's a constant moving target. These laws are always changing. The taxes are always changing. And you kind of have to stay on top of things and monitor this. It's not a set it and forget it type event where you put these documents in place, you put these trusts in place, and you're done. That's not how it works. You have to continue the planning of this, especially if you're working with, you know, most of our clients are on the younger side in their 30s, 40s, maybe 50s or so. You know, we're talking about 30, 40 or 50 years until that 100% death rate tax actually hits, right? So a lot of vision, a lot of planning, a lot of foresight. Um, I know we're at a timely um, point in time here of uh, some changes that are currently happening um, come 2026. And we kind of have a little bit of a window here with some of these laws that are sunsetting. Can you speak to the opportunity I like to think of it as that we kind of have, what, 18 months or so to take advantage of? Yeah, yeah. So currently, as I said, the estate tax, that's the big, that's the doozy. That's what everybody's trying to avoid, trying to minimize. The estate tax is this 40% tax. Um, every taxpayer has a break. Uh, That's the federal, the just important. Uh, there's a federal tax and a state tax. So just to. Right. At the state level, states are all over the map. Um, some states have an estate tax. Some states have an inheritance tax. But we're talking about federal. So yep. for federal tax purposes, it's a 40% tax. And every taxpayer in the United States um, has a $12,920,000 uh, exemption amount, meaning they can leave up to $12,920,000 um, at their death to their loved ones, estate tax-free. To the extent their estate exceeds that amount, then they're looking at a tax liability. And that's where we start talking about irrevocable trust. Now, Rob, to your point, the laws are always changing. What I always tell my clients is, if you tell me when you're going to die, tell me exactly how much money you're going to have when you die and tell me what the tax code is gonna look like when you die, then we'll put together a perfect plan. Obviously, yeah. nobody knows those of things. Course. What we do know right now is what the law currently says. What the law currently says is every taxpayer has this $12.9 million credit. That's scheduled to go up to 13.6 million next year. But January 1 of 2026, it drops to about half that amount. It'll go down to around $6 million. The people listening to the podcast right now, if they have a, an estate that is under, let's call it 13 million, right now they're not really worried about the estate tax. However, if they plan to live to January 1 of 2026, then they got to be concerned with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of the younger professionals that we work with, they're still in the accumulation phase. And so their estates are going up in value, but the estate tax threshold is going down. And so it's good to get in front of it. And Rob, to your point, we have a little bit of a runway. 
between now and January 1 of 2026, we've got a lot of clients that are going to start gifting, which is just a proactive way of getting in front of the estate tax and this change in the law. Uh, there's two ways to take advantage of this credit against the estate tax. One, you could die between now and January 1 of 2026, <laughs> or two, you can gift. Uh, and gifting is another way to take advantage of that credit. Death is not really the best option. Um, so, so we would prefer our clients to gift, and that way they can get in front of the, the, the change in the law. Got it. And yeah. important. Important to note, we're recording this podcast in November of 2023, so we never know when someone's going to be listening to this. So it changes. Good and, and um, you know, I I remember uh, probably about 15 years ago, to, I think the, the estate tax threshold was $2 million. I think it was something like that uh, in around 2008. I could be wrong. Then it was $1 million, then it raised it. So here we are at 12. So it really just can change and it depends the administration that's in office, the tax laws at the time. And it's just one of those things we just don't know what it's going to be. That's right. But if you act now, I mean, you can kind of grandfather yourself in under the current code. One way to kind of walk in the law as we know it today is to just make a gift into an irrevocable trust. It's irrevocable at that point. And generally speaking, um, once you do that, then there's no retroactivity with respect to gift tax. That's something that sometimes is in doubt. But generally speaking, there's consensus now that if you take proactive steps to make these gifts into irrevocable trust, um, you should be okay. Um, Kevin, can you, uh, before we end, I always like hearing like, what are you up to? What are some of these conversations that you're having with some of your high net worth clients what are some popular strategies that are exist now at this present time? Like what are, what are kind of your day-to-day conversations that you're having? Yeah. Um, so I think for, with my practice, I, I tend to attract um, clients that have really complicated um, estates and complexity isn't necessarily just a matter of net worth. In other words, just because you have a bunch of money, doesn't mean you have a lot of complexity in your life. You could be a multi-billionaire, but if everything you have is going into a foundation, I mean, there's really no complexity there. Uh, or you can be a, you know, a, a wealthy grandma, but you want to make sure that any money you leave to your great grandkid is earned um, the hard way. That those kids are going to have to get a degree and they're going to have to have a, you know, fruitful source of employment and all this kind of stuff. You can put all these conditions into the documents. So really what I spend most of my time doing, um, because I tend to attract these kind of tough cases, is just a lot of conversation. I think oftentimes as attorneys, we tend to focus on drafting and putting together these big elaborate plans, but there really is no substitute for having these hard discussions. Um, Oftentimes with estate planning, um, you can put together the perfect document, but if it falls into imperfect hands, or if the beneficiaries who are on the receiving end of the inheritance, if they're not prepared to handle it, then your plan is going to fail. It doesn't matter how good you are at what you do. And so what I spend most of my time doing these days is really just having conversations with my clients, conversations that are oftentimes facilitated by other trusted advisors like the two of you. Um, You don't need a law degree. You don't need a tax background to talk about, hey, who do you want um, 
running your business, something happens to you. Who do you want taking care of your kid if something happens to you? These discussions are way more important than the tax consequences of what we do. And if these are the reasons why wealth tends to fail by the time it gets to the third generation, wealth dissipates. And there's been studies done. Why is it that wealth tends to dissipate by the time it gets to the third generation? Is it because the accountants get it wrong? Is it because the financial advisors and investment advisors get it wrong? Is it the lawyers who get it wrong? And time and time again, what the studies come back and show us is that it's because the heirs who are on the receiving end of that wealth are simply unprepared. The way you prepare them by having conversation. Hopefully somebody listening to this podcast will understand that they're going to need to have some conversation. Uh, but that's, that's where I'm spending most of my time is just having these re- really tough conversations and really tough estates. Um, yeah. uh, I think that's, that's probably my highest and best use is just facilitating, facilitating those conversations. Yeah. I think you're, you're an advisor much like we are. And, um, you know, there are, for our world, there's a lot of financial products and strategies that exist. And for your world, there's a lot of, um, documents and strategies that exist for you. And I think it's like you said, just listening, asking a lot of questions, getting an understanding of, people's world. And then it's our job to match that strategy up with their situation. And, you know, that's, that's what comes from having a a competent relationship with somebody. Yeah. And I think we can't, we can't discount the the benefit of having the, the, like the team approach. I mean, it sounds a little trite, kind of corny, but this is the best outcome for the client is when your team is all aligned and everybody's kind of reading from the same page of the hymnal. That's what we try to accomplish. That's awesome, Kevin. This this has been great. And, you know, I think we're really scratching the surface here and we're trying to keep these, you know, these podcasts, you know, really about the fundamentals here. There is a ton more that goes into your daily conversations. And I've been exposed to quite a few of them. And there's some pretty neat things that you're able to do. And, you know, you, you're, you do a great job making us look like the hero oftentimes. So we always appreciate bringing you in. Um, Kevin, where, where can people find out more about you? Um, direct them to your website or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a partner at the law firm Venable LLP. I practice in New York and in California. I have a bi-coastal practice. Uh, I have a really easy last name to Google. <laughs> uh, so that's probably the best way to reach me. And I think my firm's website will be the first hit. Again, it's uh, Kevin Gasomian at Venable LLP. Thanks. Awesome. And of course, reach out to us with questions. You know, we we really play the role of the quarterback um, and we're relatively well versed in this conversation, but certainly bring in the expert um, when it's appropriate, which is, you know, pretty often. Um, thank you all for for tuning in. It, uh, it is the Tuesday before uh, Thanksgiving. So everyone have a happy, healthy Thanksgiving. Lots to be grateful for. Um, and uh, until next time. Thank you for listening to the Tempest podcast. Visit our website at tempest-financial.com or give us a call at 516-672-0784. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Tempest Financial Group. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PIS, Guardian, or Tempest Financial Group, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Robert Schlesinger and Daniel Piankin are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Tempest Financial Group, LLC, is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Robert Schlesinger's California Insurance License Number 0H91023. Danielle Pankin's California Insurance License Number 0I17252.